I'm really looking forward to um, sharing message four with you as the uh, concluding message of our very precious uh, conference on laboring on the all-inclusive Christ, a land flowing with milk and honey. I look to the Lord and open to him that as he flows with milk and honey, we'll have a very delightful and enjoyable and encouraging conclusion as we come to the end of this particular message. But the first part is on uh, laboring on the all-inclusive Christ. And I'd like to spend a little time reading all the stanzas of a simply wonderful hymn that I remember singing it maybe the first time when 1966. Then I don't recall uh, focusing in this particular hymn uh, but that's just my limited awareness. But it's in the section of the hymnal on meetings, and the particular subject is Exhibiting Christ, hymn 864. Whene'er we meet with Christ endued, the surplus of his plenitude, we offer unto God as food, and thus exhibit Christ. Let us exhibit Christ. Let us exhibit Christ. We'll bring his surplus to the church, and thus exhibit Christ. In Christ we live by Christ we fight, on Christ we labor day and night, and with his surplus we unite to thus exhibit Christ. I'll read the chorus the second time after I read all eight stanzas. Stanza three. Our life and all we are and do is Christ himself, the substance true, that every time we meet anew, we may exhibit Christ. In meetings, Christ to God we bear, and Christ with one another share, and Christ with God enjoying there, we thus Exhibit Christ. The risen Christ to God we bring, and Christ ascended offering, God's satisfaction answering, we thus exhibit Christ. The center and reality, the atmosphere and ministry, of all our meetings is that we may thus exhibit 
Christ. The testimony and the prayer and all the fellowship we share, the exercise of gifts, whate'er, should just exhibit Christ. The Father we would glorify, exalting Christ the Son, thereby the meeting purpose satisfy, that we exhibit Christ. The chorus. Let us exhibit Christ. Let us exhibit Christ. We'll bring the surplus to the church and thus exhibit Christ. And I want to read stanza two again because it leads us into the first section of the outline. In Christ we live. By Christ we fight. On Christ we labor day and night. And with his surplus we unite to thus exhibit Christ. And the second line, on Christ we labor day and night. That brings us to Roman numeral one, on laboring on the all-inclusive Christ. And uh, just using, I think in a proper way, my imagination for a minute or two, I just wonder what uh, all of you would write. Let's just say that um, it's a training. It's not. This is a conference. But if it were a training and I just said, I'm going to ask you a question, and please answer by writing down one sentence. That will be your answer. Well, let me ask the question, and perhaps it'll stir up something proper in your being. What does it mean to labor on the all-inclusive Christ? In other words, what are we talking about when we speak of laboring on the all-inclusive Christ? Roman 1. As believers in Christ, who have been led by Christ into himself as the good land, typified by the land of Canaan, we need to labor on Christ. Labor. And uh, I'm thankful to my parents. They became young adults during the Depression. They got married during the Depression. They know what hard work is just to be able to have the, the necessities of life. 
And as I was growing up, they they taught me the necessity and the benefits of working. And even though I got my education by the Lord's sovereign arrangement through them, my parents, I had some experience of laboring, not just ordinary work. Labor is intense, weighty work. So a farmer doesn't just work, he labors. So I'm emphasizing this word labor, labor on Christ. Not simply contact Christ. Not only call on him, experience him. And not simply serve him. Or for some, not merely participate in work with him. Labor, a particular kind of hard work done for a very positive reason. It's not just something we have to do. We have no choice like farmers laboring for the harvest, for the crop. So we need to labor on Christ. And even these two little words, we need, need to touch us. There needs to be Now I'm saying the word need again. The realization that we need to labor on Christ. If we are to have church meetings again that are examples of what we read in hymn 864, We're bringing the surplus to the church. Well, what surplus? Surplus of what? If we have not labored, where's the surplus? So, point A refers to the people of Israel as a typology. And this gives us a picture that may help us to understand what it means to labor on the all-inclusive Christ. After the people of Israel entered into and possessed the land of Canaan and received their allotted portion, they labored on the land. Okay, the people entered into the land of Canaan. They possessed the land of Canaan. It was given to them by God. And they received their various portions, a certain part of the land. And now 
They had to labor on the land if they're to produce anything. When they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they didn't have to labor as far as food was concerned. They would get up very early in the morning, six days a week, and go gather manna. It came down from heaven. It supplied. And when they came into the good land at first, they enjoyed some of the leftover harvest from the good land. Others had reaped the harvest. Now they had a kind of taste. And from that point on, there was no no more manna. No more free food coming down from heaven. If the people want to live a normal life, a healthy life, you have to work, you have to labor on plants, you're raising animals. It's such a clear picture. In Egypt, they were slaves for Pharaoh. In the wilderness, no labor, just manna, manna every day. Now, once they are in the land of Canaan, typifying the all-inclusive Christ, they need to labor here. B, the life we live after entering into Christ as the good land is a life of laboring on Christ. Now, if in our experience, wherever we are in our growth in life and our spiritual understanding, if we are in a sense, still in the wilderness, then we don't have any thought about labor. We just have manna every morning. And in a proper way, some may view Holy Word for Morning Revival as morning manna is provided. This open up to the week. You have the outline, the subject, then day by day, verses to pray, read, portions of the ministry. And in addition to this, millions and millions of true believers in Christ, regenerated children of God, born of God, actually, the, the the main, even the only aspect of Christ that they know is the redeeming Christ, the Lamb who died on the cross for sins. And actually, they're still in Egypt, in the world. This is the actual situation. How many 
Christians, genuine believers, among the millions and millions on the earth today, are actually living in the all-inclusive Christ, the reality of the good land, typified by the land of Canaan. And if we are truly, truly living in the all-inclusive Christ, it will become a crucial matter in us to realize I need to labor not just for my own enjoyment and life supply, for the church, to bring the surplus to the church, to have some riches for the worship of God the Father, to worship him in spirit and truthfulness in reality. And so, this is part of our life, a life of laboring on Christ. And we have to consider, we're so familiar with this expression, laboring on Christ. We have songs in the supplement hymnal on Christ Jesus is the good land. We labor on him, laboring on Christ. They're good songs. But how many of us are living a life of laboring on Christ? And I, the Lord is really for us. His heart is full of longing to see us laboring on Christ. He wants to help us to be really clear by the time we finish the first half of this message what it means to labor on Christ as the all-inclusive good land. C. Although we need to labor on Christ as the land, to produce Christ, we need to realize that it is not we who produce Christ, but Christ who produces himself in us through our labor. If we are passive, if we are not laboring in our spirit, then there's no way for Christ to produce himself in us. But if we are in a particular environment or in certain uh, circumstances, perhaps not pleasant ones, yet we labor on Christ inwardly while we are outwardly in that situation, then Christ will produce himself in us. But if we are passive, if we are non-laboring believers, Christ will be in us. He will not be able to produce himself 
as a crop, as harvest. E. Throughout the day, we need to maintain our fellowship with the Lord and thereby contact Him, labor on Him, apply Him, experience Him, and enjoy Him. Well, let's look for a moment at the details here. Fellowship with the Lord. We all know to some extent what this fellowship is. Contact Him. I believe all of us again in various ways and degrees know from experience what it means to contact the Lord. Applying Him. Many of us are learning. Now I contact the Lord. How do I apply Him in this present situation? In my family life or where I'm working? Experiencing Him. Again, we have some genuine understanding of this. To experience Christ, he's so real to us. And enjoying him. But now we come back, labor on him. And now in the next point, we begin to get the answer. Exercising our spirit is the key to laboring on Christ, experiencing Christ, and producing Christ. The way to labor on Christ is to exercise our spirit to contact the Spirit, the reality of the all-inclusive Christ as the good land. Throughout the day, in every situation, and in all our circumstances, we should exercise our Spirit to contact the Lord and experience Him. I'll stay here for a few minutes. So exercising our spirit is the key to laboring on Christ, experiencing Christ, and producing Christ, exercising our spirit. And we see in point one, the way to labor on Christ is to exercise our spirit. That is the labor. Exercise our spirit. If we are not exercising our spirit for, 
let's say several hours, we're fully occupied with things that we have to do, our responsibilities. We're working hard, humanly speaking. But no exercising of the spirit. We're exercising the life in our body, the faculties of our soul. But to exercise our spirit during those many hours, no exercising the spirit, that is, no laboring on Christ. I will repeat for emphasis. Laboring on Christ is to exercise our spirit to contact the spirit, the all-inclusive life-giving spirit, the spirit of Christ, the reality of Christ as the good land. We need to exercise our spirit to contact the Lord's spirit in our spirit. But let's remember and let's keep it in the forefront of our of our mind in the Lord, we are not in Egypt, the world. We're not in the wilderness. We are in the good land. So the first requirement for us to labor on the all-inclusive Christ as the good land is to be in Christ. How can we labor on the land if we're not in the land? We need to be in Christ Jesus. The Lord told us so clearly, abide in me. Abide in me. And I will abide in you. And the order of that in John 15, 4 and 5 is not we start a new day, we wake up and Christ is abiding in us. We're overflowing. He's dispensing himself into us. He's loving us. He's pouring out grace into us. No, the first step is ours. To wake up, to get up, to turn our heart to the Lord. My daily prayer. Lord, I turn my heart to you in faith and love because my spirit is the inner man of my heart. I need to turn my heart to you, Lord, and open my heart to you. Now I can exercise my spirit, not only to contact you, but to be one with you, to abide in you, 
I say again, in order to labor on Christ, we must be in Christ experientially, not just objectively, because that's our position as a result of salvation. It has to be experiential. Right now, right here, I am in Christ. We are all the same. But I'll sacrifice myself just a little bit to make something clear. Any and all failures I may have during any given day, no matter what kind of failures they are, they are all the result of not being in Christ at that time. Not abiding in Christ. And if I'm not abiding in Christ, I'm in the flesh. There's either the flesh or the spirit. For in the spirit, we are one spirit with the Lord. But I want to emphasize the positive side. When we are in Christ, we are in the all-inclusive Christ. But only the universal body of Christ can match the all-inclusive Christ completely. But each one of us has a portion, an allotment of the all-inclusive Christ. And again and again, to help the trainees, to encourage them in the FTTA, and to help them realize you have a portion of Christ that no one else has. You have your portion. We can only enjoy that portion of Christ through you. You labor on him, experience him, enjoy him, be constituted with him. And now when you pray, when you have fellowship, when you give a testimony, when you prophesy, we enjoy your portion of Christ through your ministering Christ to us. And so when we are experientially abiding in Christ, that is, we are in Christ, we need to labor on the Christ we are in. We need to realize we are in Christ, the all-inclusive one, typified by the good land. And so we need to contact Christ as the life-giving spirit 
because we're touching the reality of Christ as the good land. So this is the emphasis on the inward action, exercising our spirit. First, we turn our heart to the Lord, exercise our spirit to contact the Lord, to be one with him, to be in him. And now we need to stay in him and labor on him by exercising our spirit. Now, point two is very enlightening. And I believe of much practical help throughout the day in every situation and in all our circumstances. We should exercise our spirit to contact the Lord and experience him throughout the day. We live day by day. And it's normal. This is according to God. The most of what we do day by day is, is, uh, includes various aspects of our human living, our responsibilities, our work, our caring for our children, our family. So we are in these kind of normal daily situations. And here this point is saying, throughout the day, in every situation, and in all our circumstances, we should exercise our spirit. When we exercise our spirit, in every situation and circumstance, we are laboring on Christ. Now, let me give two real illustrations. The house that my wife and I uh, live in, uh, we rent a house about a mile from the Living Stream Ministry campus. And depending on the traffic, the drive from the house to the campus or from campus to the house is four or five minutes. And I come out from the, the campus and turn right on a main street, La Palma. And then I drive to the intersection of another big street, Magnolia, and I need to turn left. And so there's a left turn lane. And those in the left turn lane can turn when the arrow pointing a turn is green. And so here I am, I come up to the intersection, 
I'm eager to get home, and I'm in a line of cars, maybe the eighth or ninth car, and my hope is when the red arrow turns green, the drivers in front of me will pay attention, they will have good reflexes, they will all turn left, and I will still have the green light, and I can turn left. But so many times, I'm way back near the end of the line, and then I'm wondering, they're not moving. The car in front of me is not moving. Then I realize, oh, this one was distracted, and this one is whatever. And so by the time I reach the intersection, the arrow turns red. Almost every day, I have to be careful at that intersection. A car is running through a red light. But we can't do that. I can't do that. So here is the practical situation. I'm bothered by that. I wanted to get home quickly. But now I'm here. I'm familiar with this. Two and a half minutes. Now, what will I do for these two and a half minutes? I've been learning even to be thankful for those two and a half minutes. I can labor on Christ at this intersection. Instead of just being here in my troubled feeling, just to set that aside by the cross, and I will contact you and labor on you for two and a half minutes. A very, very different situation. I had to be taken by an ambulance with four men who answered the call to 911 for me to be taken to a hospital. There seems to be some emergency here. And now they take me out in a gurney and put me in the ambulance. And there I am in the gurney going to the hospital. They take me into the ER. They give me tests. They examine me. They say, we're concerned about something related to your heart. Uh, we need to admit you to the hospital. And so I'm there for a period of time. And by the Lord's mercy, his loving kindness, his forbearance, his long-suffering. I, I can't say, honestly, every minute I was 
exercising my spirit. But I can thank the Lord that in that situation, it was not wasted time, those many days there. It was an opportunity to labor on Christ, the all-inclusive Christ. And this wonderful Christ realized why the sovereign God had me here. Why I'm in this situation. One of the many things that God will cause work together for good. And the Lord knows what I need of him. What supply, what grace, what resurrection life, what faith, what love, whatever it is. And I give you one other example. My dear wife and I, we just arrived after a very long trip to Singapore to be with the church there and the saints for several days. And millions and millions of people visit Singapore every year. And, you know, I was just weary after the flight and we walked a distance to the passport control lines. Then I was just almost shocked, almost. I said, the lines are so long, so many lines. How long are we going to have to wait? And then I get a gentle reminder from you-know-who, Ron. Don't lose this opportunity to contact the Lord while we're waiting. Instead of being disgruntled, this is my word, not anyone else's. Okay, while I'm in the line, I'm not going to waste the time. I want to exercise my spirit. And let me assure you, I am simply Ron, your brother. And your brother, Ron, is still a learner, learning to labor on the all-inclusive Christ. Point G. We labor on Christ as the good land by exercising our heart to have faith in the Lord and to love the Lord and by exercising our spirit to contact the Lord and to receive the dispensing of the all-inclusive life-giving spirit, the reality of Christ as the good land. So we labor on Christ as the good land by exercising our heart. With our heart, we exercise faith. With our heart, we exercise love. And then we exercise our spirit to contact Christ as the all-inclusive, life-giving spirit, the reality of Christ as the good land. 
This is a clear definition of what it means to labor on Christ. So now it's it's so clear. We can begin our day, circumstances allowing. We begin in a simple way with being with the Lord in the morning. We are supplied. But that's just the beginning of another day. It's like a spiritual breakfast. Now, most of us, Throughout the day, we need to work. We have responsibilities. What will we do all day long, dear saints? Simply doing our work outwardly. Then we have a break, 15 minutes, so we can read the Bible. We have lunch. We can read ministry. Or are we... Telling the Lord, we want to be trained to labor on you throughout the day in every situation and in all circumstances. Okay, now we go on to Roman numeral two. And I'm just happy about this part in a very special way. As a type of the all-inclusive Christ, the land of Canaan is, quote, a land flowing with milk and honey. And finally, it dawned on me as I was continuing my practice to read through the Bible from beginning to end once a year. And then I be, it, it struck me, saints, how many times God has the writers of the Bible speak of a land flowing with milk and honey. And here are some of the references. Exodus 3, 8 and 17, 33, 3, Leviticus 20, 24, Numbers 13, 27, 14, 8, Deuteronomy 6, 3, 26, 9, 15, 27, 3, Joshua 5, 6, and many more. I say this with a smile in my heart. I thank God is trying to impress us with something concerning the land of Canaan as a type of the all-inclusive Christ. He himself called it a land flowing with milk and honey. Flowing with milk and honey. And so now we want to use the rest of the time 25, 27 minutes or so to carefully 
study and consider this based upon what's in the outline. Milk and honey. Flowing. Land flowing with milk and honey. A milk and honey are produced by the mingling of two lives, the vegetable life and the animal life. Please keep this in mind because we will need to realize these are types. Certain vegetable life typifies an aspect of the life of Christ. The same with the animal life are types of Christ. And milk and honey are produced by the mingling of the two lives. Again, please keep this in mind. The mingling of two lives issues in milk through one kind of mingling and honey through another kind of mingling. And the Lord wants us to enjoy the milk and the honey simultaneously at the same time. The milk and honey. One, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8, honey is put together with the plants, wheat, barley, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 14, milk is put together with the animals, cattle, and flock, perhaps sheep or, or goats. Three, for the most part, honey has to do with the plant life. And the greater part of milk is related to the animal life. These are simply facts. Both kinds of life are involved, but with honey, the plant life is the major part. With the milk, the animal life is the main part. Little a, when these two lines are mingled together, honey is produced. In order for there to be honey, we need something more than a plant. There needs to be some kind of living little thing, like a honey bee, who is mingled together with the plant. Two lives mingled together produce honey. Little b, milk is also a product of both the animal life and the vegetable life. 
but it belongs mainly to the animal life. It, the milk is produced from grazing in the pasture, vegetable life, by cattle and the flock, animal life. When I was a little boy and a teenager until the age of 17, I went with my parents every summer for usually three weeks to visit the place where my mother was born and grew up and the house that she grew up. And the family had a farm. So I got to be on the farm every day. And one one morning... My uncle, uh, a very dear person, he said, how would you like to learn to milk a cow? I was just about 10 years old. And so they took me into the barn and had me sit down and there's a certain way that you should press the udders. But the clear picture is the milk comes out of a cow. It doesn't come out of a plant. But the cow cannot produce milk without spending hours, many hours every day grazing in the pasture, especially eating the grass. I don't know whatever else they might eat. So they have to take the plant life in them to be mingled with the big animal life. The result is milk. I hope this is becoming clear. The two lives are mingled together. Yes, with the honey, it's mainly the Vegetable life mingled with animal life, but it's still mingled, two lives. And with the milk, yes, it's mainly a matter of the animal life, but there had to be the plant life mingled with the animal life. The mingling of the two lives, in each case, produced, or in one case, produced honey, the other produced milk. And what we will see now in this last part, the very crucial part here, is that our Lord wants us to experience and enjoy milk and honey at the same time. It's not wrong just to experience the animal life. It's not wrong. It's a genuine experience. We'll see why shortly. And it's not a mistake to experience and enjoy plant life. 
But when we experience both together at the same time, we have milk and honey. And if we exercise our heart and spirit to do this continually, we will experience milk and honey flowing in us. Now let's look at this section. I find it very endearing and so pleasant and precious. Milk and honey, which are the mingling of both the animal life and the vegetable life, signify two aspects of the life of Christ. The redeeming aspect and the generating aspect aspect. Okay? Can you think of Christ as the redeeming aspect? The Lamb, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what about plant life? Which is the generating life. The grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies to generate many grains. We are abiding in the vine. And all that is in the vine flows into us to bear fruit. One, the vegetable life is the life that generates and multiplies. This life signifies the generating and multiplying life of Christ. And here we have John 12, 24, perhaps the best illustration from the Bible. Here's this grain of wheat. It, it could just stay alone in a in a bowl doesn't produce anything and Christ is that grain of wheat the incarnated god man Christ he fell into the ground and died that is the generating life and what happened it wasn't that one grain somehow produce something, just one, many grains. That's multiplying. Christ, as the reality of the vegetable life, generates and multiplies. Two, the animal life signifies the redeeming life of Christ. Now I want to read John chapter 6, 54 and 55. We know, most of us, that earlier in this chapter, the Lord said, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. 
I am the true bread. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the heavenly bread. I'm the bread of God. I'm the God bread. That's all vegetable life. But verses 54 and 55 say this. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Yeah, I would like to go back to the second part of verse 51. And the bread which I will give is my flesh. Given for the life of the world. And the Jews then contended with one another saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within yourselves. So here we have the vegetable life first, just the bread. But now we're told this bread refers to Christ's flesh. He will die that we may feed on him and have life. And I read verse 55 again, My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now we continue on the outline. I repeat point three again. The redeeming aspect, no, sorry, I'm just starting at point three. The redeeming aspect of Christ's life is for our judicial redemption. He died on the cross. The God-man Jesus died for us. His side was pierced. Blood and water flowed from his side. This is for our judicial redemption that we would be right before God through faith. And the generating aspect of Christ's life is for our organic salvation. Romans 5.10 Much more we shall be saved in his life. And so our Lord Jesus, in his redeeming aspect, died as a man in the flesh, as the Lamb of God. He died in our place so that we may believe in him and God declares us righteous through faith. But the generating aspect of Christ's life is for our salvation. 
Point four. The symbols of the Lord's table signify the redeeming and generating aspects of Christ's life for God's complete salvation. I really like saints all over the earth, depending on their circumstances. I'm just longing and yearning to gather again in the district, District 3 at the church in Anaheim where we are, and gather on the Lord's Day morning in the meeting hall and sit on the chair. And in the center, there's the table. On the table, there's a plate with the unleavened bread. And there's the cup of the fruit of the vine. And those symbols significate they, they signify the redeeming and generating aspects of Christ's life for us. And we remember him by praising him, enjoying him. And we realize we are declaring week after week, the effectiveness of the Lord's death. We have been redeemed. The cup on the table signifies this. With the blood shed, he enacted the new covenant filled with blessings for us, our inheritance. And the bread signifies the generating life. Here we have the milk and honey. And we take in the bread, we take in the cup. Yes, there's a few minutes, time-wise, but actually, we're doing this at the same time. We need to have this view because then it will bring us, I'm happy to say, to point five. Milk and honey speak forth the goodness and the sweetness of the life of Christ. Milk and honey. They're speaking, not audibly, spiritually speaking for the goodness and sweetness of the life of Christ. Our dear Lord wants us continually, day by day, to enjoy the goodness and the sweetness of his life. Now, please pay attention to point A, the beginning. When at the same time, at the same time, we experience and enjoy Christ as both the vegetable life and the animal life. 
we realize how good, sweet, and rich the Lord is to us. I emphasize, it's at the same time. Because the animal life, the vegetable life, must be mingled. Now in our experience, I say it's not wrong if I'm condemned by my conscience that I I sinned, I failed, I need to confess, and I do as you do. And God is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us. When we do that, we just may concentrate on the animal life, the animal life aspect. This is the redeeming life. And then maybe somewhat later, we are coming to Christ for, like he's the tree of life, he's the bread of life. And so our inner awareness is on this generating life. Again, it's not wrong. But we're not able to taste the sweetness this way. But recently, I have to say, as elderly as I am, I'm still learning stuff. I've just been getting to learn, Lord, I need to do both at the same time. While I am clearing up something, praying for you to apply your precious blood to me, I'm washing my robes, make them white in the lamb, seeking forgiveness. At the same time, I'm enjoying you as my life, as my life supply. You're my saving life my reigning life. You're the grace of life. At the same time, you're milk and honey. And you're milk and honey because the redeeming life of Christ, the generating life of Christ, the multiplying life of Christ are operating in me at the same time right now. And I feel like saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm tasting something so sweet I hardly ever tasted before. How good. How sweet you are. How rich you are. You don't just let me know I forgive, I forget. I'm true to my word. I'm faithful. Now I'm, I'm relieved, I'm at peace. At the same time, he is ministering his generating, multiplying life. So little B says, we sense the, the richness and the sweetness of Christ. The goodness of the milk and the sweetness of the honey. I just don't have the adequate words. I look to the Lord's Spirit to make this so precious and real to you. 
But now there's a sense, an inner sense, a sense of life and a sense from the spirit. What is it? I sense the riches of Christ, especially the sweetness of Christ. The Lord is so endearing, so sweet, so delightful, so enjoyable. And he's in me. And I'm feeding on him. How wonderful this is. Oh, the goodness of the milk, the sweetness of the honey. Then eventually what happens is we realize this is the intrinsic significance of the all-inclusive Christ as our good land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And we will little by little reach the point where all day long, as we are laboring on Christ with our heart and our spirit, we have the sense of there's something flowing in me. Not a mighty powerful river, but a flow, a stream of milk and honey. Such a sweet inner sense. How dear, how precious, how wonderful, how indescribably enjoyable he is. And eventually, we become that kind of person. Not in a natural way. And that's why more than ever before, it's not only necessary, but precious and delightful just to be together. To drink from one another's spirit. To taste the flow of milk and honey from saint to saint. The whole atmosphere is sweeter, richer, more than anything we've ever known before. I don't intend or plan to live in memories of the past. The best is ahead. Oh, to be with the dear beloved saints in a land flowing with milk and honey. And now listen to this last point. <clears throat> point six. And for this we go to Song of Songs. The Divine Romance. By enjoying Christ as the land of milk and honey, we will be constituted with him as milk and honey. We will be constituted with Christ as milk and honey. Is there not something rising up in you? Is it starting to rise up? Lord, I want to be this kind of person in you. I want all the saints to be like this. 
believers constituted with Christ as milk and honey. And how does this happen? By enjoying Christ as the land of milk and honey, by experiencing and enjoying Christ as the animal life, that is the redeeming life, and as the vegetable life, that is the generating and multiplying life, simultaneously at the same time, then we are enjoying it, we're tasting it. Now we're being constituted with him. And then look how this is expressed. We quote Song of Songs, chapter 4, first part of verse 11. Your lips drip fresh honey, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Now the Lord, the one we love in the divine romance, he says to the one seeking him, loving him, your lips drip fresh honey, my bride, your lips. My bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. Now, please listen to this. Have you ever considered Song of Songs begins very close to the beginning with a kiss. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That kiss was a kiss from lips with honey, milk and honey. And then in the first part of chapter 8, the lover of the Lord has become his reproduction, his Shulamite, has been serving with him for the church as the body of Christ. She's mature in life. Now she's longing to see him outside of this old creation body to be transfigured. And what does she say? When I meet you outside, I will kiss you. And the Lord will be able to say, your lips drip fresh honey, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. I'm not going to try to say or imagine what will take place when bride and bridegroom meet. I know that along with all of you, I want to be there as part of the bride. But maybe they will greet one another with a kiss because the all-inclusive Christ the land flowing with milk and honey has become our constitution. We are the same as he is in life, in nature, in taste, in sweetness, 
And now we can get married. What a future we have. What a wedding will soon be coming. My dear brothers and sisters, let us all give ourselves to the Lord in a fresh way with a prayer something like this, Lord, train me to labor on you as the all-inclusive Christ throughout the day, day by day, no matter where I am, what is happening, what I'm doing. And Lord, constitute my being with yourself as milk and honey. Not mainly for my enjoyment, but for the fulfillment of the desire of your heart to have a counterpart, a bride, a wife, who matches you in every way. And I end by saying, may we match him in the sweetness of life. Because we too are beings constituted with milk and honey. Brothers and sisters, what a bright future we have. May the Lord gain ground in us day by day until he can say, my bride has made herself ready. I can already sense the sweetness. I'm coming for her. And we echo, yes, dear Lord, our beloved, our bridegroom, come, come soon. <laughs>